Welcome to the Color of Influence podcast, where you will hear stories from amazing people of color from around the world, from social media, and right here in our communities. Their stories will inspire you, encourage you, and motivate you. I am your host, Aisha Morgan, and let's meet today's guest. So we have the perfect first guest on our podcast, especially during Women's History Month. Dr. Conley has made her mark in the media and communication space for years. She is a professor, she's a published author, she is the founder of Hashtag Feminism, she's also the founder of uh, Media Make Change, which is a production and consulting company. She has uh, produced documentaries, and today she's going to be talking to us about her latest documentary, Dry Bones. So without further ado, let's meet Dr. Conley. All right. So hello, everyone. And we are back with our first guest of March for Women's History Month. We have Dr. Tara Conley. I just love saying that. I feel like <laughs> I have an accomplishment, even though I didn't, didn't do anything to get it. But I just like saying Dr. Conley. Um, <laughs> I have known Dr. Conley for half my life literally. Um, Back in college, we were roommates and teammates and have been inseparable ever since. So Dr. Conley, why don't you tell everybody about yourself and we'll get into our discussion today. Yes, yes, yes. So first of all, thank you for having me. I feel very privileged to be in this space with you, as always. I think this is our second time in this space. Um, yep. Yes. So I have this, like, it's kind of like a running joke with my students where I, at the beginning of the semester, I tell them, listen, I spent all this on money on my, <laughs> my college degree, so you got to call me Dr. Conley, just in the context of, the, of school. <laughs> Once you graduate, you can call me whatever. But, yeah, um, yes. Dr. Conley, I am, and um, I, I'm currently teaching, I'm assistant professor at Montclair State uh, University in New Jersey, uh, where I teach courses in transmedia storytelling, race, ethnicity, and media, feminist media studies, gender and media, all the good stuff, all the stuff that they're trying to ban in schools. <laughs> so, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> so um, I feel very privileged to be able to um, be in a classroom space with students who are really interested in um, telling impactful stories. Um, so yeah, I've been kind of doing this work for a very, very long time. Um, and I always kind of start with my origin story. And actually you were there, Isha, my origin story when um, Hurricane Katrina hit. Oh yeah. And I volunteered and I brought my camera down there and decided that was the first time I ever really made like a documentary. And it ended up being like a, a documentary told over 10 years about Hurricane Katrina. Um, and so from that point on, went to graduate school. I did some more kind of media making work um, when I was getting my master's at Texas Women's University. And then ended up in California, worked for a film company. Then I went to um, New York and decided to pursue my doctorate um, in uh, it's a long program at Columbia University Teachers College, um, 
communication learning techni technology, technology design, they've changed the program so many times, uh, but it was in the School of Education. So I've always had been in this space where I'm like media maker, teacher, and then I, you know, kind of uh, occupy those, those two spaces, both inside the academy, outside of the academy. Um, and so I've been making and teaching about making stories for, wow, for a very long time now, well yeah. over a decade. Um, and I started my, um, my production company, Media Make Change, in 2009 after um, the Haiti earthquake. Um, I also felt like there was a need to have some kind of infrastructure, technological infrastructure for um, particularly young people um, that were impacted by that natural disaster. So, um, so yeah, I've been doing this for a very long time uh, and I enjoy doing it. I think um, this is my lane, as they say. Um, and so now I'm, I'm embarking on a new project, a new film. Yes. So why don't you tell us about this film? Um, if you guys follow me on social media, I have been reposting um, some things in my story. And so now you're going to get background info of where all of that is coming from. Yes. And thank you for posting. And it's crowdfunding is it is not for the faint of heart. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this film, um, Dry Bones is what it's called. It's, it's actually uh, a title that came from one of the um, participants in the film who, uh, Brother Sherman is what we call him. Um, he was talking about um, the, the main protagonist in the context of the Bible verse uh, from Ezekiel and Dry Bones. And I'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but this film came about because I've always wanted to tell a story about home and I'm, I'm not done yet. This is one of many stories um, that I definitely want to tell. Um, but I, I always remember my mother um, and my bunch of family members that grew up in Elyria, Ohio, where the story takes place, talking about a man named Ike Maxwell. Mm -hmm. And um, so Ike Maxwell is this, this famous, legendary football player, local town, local hero, kind of famous um, football player from the 1970s. Um, he was like LeBron James before LeBron James was LeBron James, if, if, if for, for lack of a better description. Yeah. Uh, he was coming up during a time in this like 1975. So after the civil rights movement, um, kind of the turn of the century, um, he was he was touted to be the the next big thing, the next big athlete to come out of Ohio. Um, but his family confronted a series of traumatic events along the way, even before the one incident that I think kind of derailed his career. Mm -hmm. um, I think in August of 1975 or 76, his younger brother, Gerald Maxwell, um, he was uh, caught coming out of a window of a local tavern bar. Um, two police officers had stopped him. Um, they found, they, they spotted him climbing out of a window. Um, so long story short, it ended up with um, one of the police officers, a white police officer shooting him and killing him mm -hmm. uh, as he was coming out of the, the tavern. Uh, 19 years old, young, young man. Um, and for the Maxwell family, I have a lot of kids. There's lots of kids in the family. Um, and they were, actually grew up down the, couple, down the block, couple blocks down from my, my mother's family, another, also another big family. Um, so after that happened, I think this was like right after Ike had graduated, um, from high school, there was, um, what they were calling a race riot 
that happened in Illyria as a result of the killing. Okay. Um, and, you know, Ike had, I think he had gone to Miami. He was supposed to play for University of Miami. Um, it didn't work out. Uh, he had really no support, um, as most families back then, big families, not a lot of money coming in. Right. Uh, so he ended up coming back uh, to Ohio, went to the University of Akron, didn't work out. His brother was killed. Um, this is after his father was also shot and killed early, earlier years earlier. So if you can imagine being an athlete, a young kid coming out, um, you know, carrying the weight of the hopes and dreams of your town. Yeah. Um, and then not being able to fulfill that dream because of these issues that were happening. So um, he didn't end up doing those things. He had to come back home. And um, then he ended up kind of confronting a series of traumatic events after the killing. Um, he was in some physical altercations, um, one being where he was struck in the head with a baseball bat, um, which uh, injured his frontal cortex. So um, if you watch the trailer, you might hear him talking or making sounds in the background. Um, he's not able to articulate full sentences. Um, okay. Um, he also suffers from some issues with drug abuse and alcohol abuse and just not being taken care of from yeah. the community, even though he, you know, even though he took care of the community in, in many ways. So um, in 2012, the New York Times did a story on him and they just kind of followed him around. It was kind of a profile where it was more so about, you know, the white black divide in, in Illyria. And um, I remember showing my mom the video and she just was like, she just, she didn't like the way that I was portrayed. Uh, and that got me thinking about, you know, how can we better tell our own stories mm -hmm. um, rely on sort of these national media uh, outlets and white institutions, New York Times, very white institution. Um, and so I decided to go back home and do a story on Ike and kind of follow his journey as best as I can. So I spoke with his sister, Darlene Sanders, who's kind of his primary caretaker, and just talked about the story of Ike and, and, and some of the things that they went through together. Um, but in telling Ike's story, um, I also essentially tell a story about Black Illyria, where I'm from. Um, so I get a chance to sit down with the mayor, the first Black elected mayor, uh, Frank Whitfield, young guy, um, lots of aspirations for the city. Mm -hmm. um, I talk with a lot of community organizers and activists in the city, um, historians, my family, cousins, my mom, uh, my aunt. Um, and just to kind of get a better sense of how in the world did we get to this place where in 2022, we're still talking about stories of Black Americans from the Midwest, ironically enough, um, facing issues of systemic violence and police violence. Yeah. And why was this happening in the 70s and why are we still feeling the repercussions of it today? So it's a story at, this, at the intersection of law enforcement and sport for sure. But more importantly, it is a story that I hope brings forth the humanity of Black people living in the Midwest and the Rust Belt. I mean, with George Floyd, hap that happening in the Midwest with all these other stories, not to say that the Midwest is, is particularly special, um, but there um, is something about uh, telling stories in regions of the country where Black folks don't seem to exist. Yeah. Uh, and that was very much true after the, you know, 
the Trump election, everybody in Ohio was was white Trump voters, and that's just not true. So this is kind of a counter narrative um, storytelling project where I really want to, again, center the humanity of Black people from where I'm from. So do you um, feel that those same um, racist mindset of police and people that are non, not Black mm-hmm. are still in existence there? Or is it Because, I mean, you clearly were going around to different locations. So Mm -hmm. did you have to encounter any um, adversity in doing that? So the the Rust Belt or Northeast Ohio, Ohio in in general, is a unique area. Um, It's the people are unique in the sense that it's not overt racism um, Mm -hmm. that we might, you know, be more familiar with maybe in the South or older depictions of the south yeah it's kind of nice racism you know (laughs) it's kind of like passive aggressive type yeah and it's like but we like we all went to school together we all eat the same diner together so just by virtue of our proximity i can't be a racist kind of a thing even though you know the systems in place and the institutions in place in these in these cities are absolutely racist and discriminatory. Like they don't favor black people. And I'm not just saying this as a rhetorical device. Um, for example, um, Daryl Maxwell, um, they ended the, the Illyria police department ended up settling with the Maxwell family. Zora Maxwell, who is Darlene Ike and Daryl's mother. Mm-hmm. Um, she ended up getting a $17,500 settlement for her son's life. In the night in 1979, I think seventeen thousand dollars. Imagine your child being killed by a police officer, and that and that police force admitting they were wrong, right? And you getting seventeen thousand dollars for that. And she was actually seeking two million. So yeah. she, but, you know, they were struggling. So she took what she had to take. And again, this was the 70s. This yeah. Right. But these are this is what I'm just saying. Like these little instances of like systemic racism that pop up in our judicial systems, our court systems, our police systems, our education systems. Yes, all those things still exist. But in this region, we don't like to talk about it because it's not nice to talk about. Right. Yeah. It's not, it's not, why do we have to look at race? Why do we always have to talk about race? Um, Elyria is not racist. I'm not racist. Like these are the constant conversations that are always bubbling up whenever, um, you know, issues around Ike's story or even issues around the politics of the, of the time come up. So I'm just trying to get away from that niceness. I'm trying to like have a really honest conversation um, amongst my community, but also, you know, telling us a, a local story in the national um, discourse, because I think I, I guarantee that the nice racist systems aren't only happening in, you know, Elyria, Ohio or the Ohio region. Right. They're happening everywhere. Oh, yeah. Um, but we just don't know how to talk about it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Did you interview any of the people, like the white people that had an association to the story? Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, I So we're about 80% done with the film, which is why we're doing this crowdfunding campaign um, to finish production. Some of the um, interviews that I want to continue to work to, to get are from city council members, some white folks who were, like you said, around during that time. Um, I'm hoping to get one interview from 
um, a gentleman who is on the head of the uh, Sports Hall of Fame in Illyria. Um, another subset of this of the story in the film is um, one of the a community activists is trying to get Illyria to um, induct Ike into the Illyria Hall of Fame, Sports Hall of Fame, but they won't do it because they said he was involved in drugs. Um, oh, wow. This is a white, a very white committee, Hall of Fame committee. Got it. Um, so I am trying to get a few of those perspectives, mm-hmm. kind of like, why can't we honor Ike while he's still alive? Like, are you, you're, you're telling me that you can't give him his props because he had, he struggled with drugs? Yeah. In like the eighties and nineties. And so I, so that's the kind of conversation I want to have. Um, but at the same time, this is a black story and I want to make sure that I'm centering again, black people in this film. Um, and with the acknowledgement that, you know, there are white perspectives that are important to add context and texture to the story, yeah. but they aren't the story though. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So when you decided to go about making the film, what was your process? Um, I mean, did you know people who could help you? Did you have to kind of go on Fiverr or something or like, how did that happen for you? Yeah. Well, I am fortunate to work at an institution where I work with some amazingly talented colleagues who are filmmakers, as well as students and former students who are filmmakers. Um, so actually, I do want to send a huge shout out to Sean Arnold, who is my co-producer and, and a, um, an alumni um, at Montclair State University, the film school. Okay. He has been just an incredibly brilliant field producer. Um, him and I started working together through an independent study um, course uh, last year. And he was brought to me by one of my colleagues um, who was like, I have this student. He really wants to work on a film. I think you'd be great to work with him. So we just started um, collaborating and he's actually been my helpful kind of guide through the process of of film production. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a lot of work um, and a lot of people need to be involved in a lot of collaborations and some of the things we kind of figure out together. um, But it started just with this concept that I want to go back home and tell a story and I like sports and I like, talking about race and I like focusing on black people. Um, And then we kind of just riffed and had early conversations and we ended up coming to this Ike story. And then um, him having already uh, having experience in the industry and working on sets, he was able to connect me with some of his um, contacts. um, Camera folks, drone pilots. So we have some really awesome like- beautiful cinematography um, and they're also former MSU students um, and I was able to pull some of my students from my classes to do this work um, some of them have volunteered to do it as part of the class assignment um, a lot of them are really gifted in strategic comms and PR work um, so it's been like this kind of you know alchemy of, of things happening um, primarily working with um, my form, my colleagues and former MSU students and current MSU students. Um, and it's still difficult, even with all these expertise, uh, it's still difficult to get the film out because once you have it made and once you tell everybody about it, you still have to get a distributor and you still have to 
find some money uh, to get it out in the world. And that's been probably the most challenging part. And that's, and sometimes it can be the most self like deflating um, because we've done all this wonderful work and, and hard work for free, unpaid. Um, and it's just a matter of, of trying to get it in the right hands. And, and that's, that's definitely the most challenging part of the production process so far. Yeah. So have you looked into like smaller um, production companies um, through social media? Because I know, I mean, obviously I'm not in this world. I just know people that I follow on Instagram. But like, um, I don't know if you follow Kev on stage. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he (laughs) was pretty much tired of yeah, kind of being rejected. Yeah. And he started his own channel. Like it's it's right. an app um, right. where you can, um, you know, watch content from people. So like you pay for a subscription, it's only $5 a month. But um, he, so I, I would listen to an interview that he did and he talked about the fact that they don't have money to like pay you per se where like you they're gonna be paying for like big producers and all this stuff but if you have a concept mm-hmm. they'll help you put your concept together and then put it on his platform yeah as like you know a, it would be a documentary right. on his platform um but it's one of those you know kind of out of the box yeah. things um yeah I don't know I that's the only person that I know but I feel like if he has done that there has to be other people who have done something you know I've I'm looking at I, I'm definitely following the lead of a lot of independent black creators because yeah. they're they're creating their own platforms because they know that it's hard as heck to try to get mm-hmm. And, and, and then when we do get our work out there, we have to be vigilant to make sure we protect it because it right. can be stolen by other content creators that are not black. Um, right. We see it all the time on TikTok. Um, and I'm just learning about a lot of this stuff. I'm, I just sent to my, I sent my team um, this morning an article about how um, some film companies are getting their films funded through TikTok and they're just like releasing some early clips and wow. getting to get excited about it and, and then donate directly to the production company. I have my own production company. Right. Um, I'm trying to do a lot of that early stage work through, through my own production company. Um, but yeah, I mean, just trying to figure out what kind of, of like independent strategy that we could tap into that I think a lot of these black creators are already doing on Instagram, through TikTok, through, you know, YouTube, which seems like an older medium now with, with all this other stuff happening. But believe it or not, um, YouTube is really not. Yeah. So like through all of the things that I'm learning about social media, Mm -hmm. a lot of people utilize YouTube more than the other ones. Like it's, it seems like it's it's older, right, but right. YouTube, um, from again what I'm learning through this podcast, honestly, from people that I've talked to, um, you mon- you can make more money on YouTube. You can do more with your videos on yeah. YouTube, so trailers, 
and clips and like extensions of whatever. Um, and they, um, I know like Instagram is trying to do this subscription thing, kind of like Patreon. Yeah, right. You, like, pay for it and whatever. Um, but Patreon is an option yep. where, you know, you could potentially release mm -hmm. clips to the people who pay whatever the premium right. is. <coughs> um, excuse me. Where like, you know, if you're given $40, you know, you get mm -hmm. to see this much every week or every uh, month. Yeah. If you pay $5, you just get to see five minutes. Right, um, right. You right. know, you pay a dollar a minute, but I haven't, I went on Patreon. Yeah, I know. It's a, I, I have to. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where I'm like, it makes me feel old because I'm like, if you don't explicitly tell me what to do when I log into this thing, I'm over it. Like, I can't. I'm yeah. not Googling anything. It's too many. If I have to go to another screen to figure out how I'm supposed to set this up, I'm not doing it. So I deleted it. I yeah. deleted it off of my app. I mean, off my phone. Because I was like, I yeah. can't. And I mean, we, so we're, we're trying to crowdfund through Seed and Spark, which is another platform where we do offer these incentives, where if you donate this amount, you get this, you get this exclusive content. And, and, and crowdfunding is, I remember I was working and trying to do crowdfunding stuff over a decade ago. Like it's, it's tough. Like, um, you know, it, and people don't, uh, especially because I think about some people in my family who are much older and they're face, they're heavy Facebook users, but they, you know, you really have to walk them through to click on another link to go outside mm -hmm. of Facebook to go to another platform. And then there's all these other buttons that they got to click on. And, yeah. um, you know, you want to kind of limit how many clicks that people have to go through in order to support your project. At the same time, it's, you know, you're trying to find a balance. I, hell, I was even thinking about like, what is it, what would it look like to release <laughs> a film in the metaverse? Like, can I talk yeah. to somebody? Facebook, you know, like I'm, I'm definitely thinking about all these different ways, um, these non-traditional ways mm -hmm. of putting out putting the film out there. At the same time, I want to make sure that I can provide some kind of assistance to the people that are doing this work for me. I, it breaks my heart that that the majority of the work that we're doing is for free. Yeah, I hate free labor. Um, I hate capitalism, but I want to make sure that the people that are working to make this film work are getting compensated and yeah. you know, money has to come from somewhere. Yeah. Um, and I I'm, mean, the only yeah. other thing that I would say is that, um, you know, we know a lot of people. We and, sure do. And I'm, and I'm sitting, I'm sending <laughs> the messages. I'm, and that's the thing, like I, and I don't want to guilt people and, and you know, I, I have to, but you can't look at it as guilt. Like you yeah, really can't right. because, um, you know, I have this podcast, right? And I promote it on all of my platforms, but my biggest audience are people that I don't know. Hello. I was just telling my mother this yesterday. They are the people who message me. I mean, yes. there's people who want to be on my podcast like literally people that I know who are like when are you gonna have me on and have never listened to yep. one episode yeah not one 
There are people who have been on my podcast that haven't even listened to their own episode. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like, okay, mm-hmm. like I have to now think outside the box of how to promote, you know, this yeah. podcast yeah. and, um, you know, it's going to evolve into something where I will be interviewing people that I don't know. Um, but I, I think that's also part of the process too. I think we should be allowed to, to do the work that we want to do and kind of figure it out as we go. Um, I have my students do an audience analysis for all their projects. So we actually do the, the, the audience profile, you have your core audience, your reach audience, like your do or dies, people that you know, they're going to support you. Yeah. Um, and, and it's iterative. You're always coming back and revising that audience analysis. It's never a static plan or static strategy because media environments are constantly changing. The world is constantly changing. We're in, we're seeing a war happening right now. And that is absolutely affecting how we promote our content. Mm -hmm. So we have to take that into consideration. And then people change. Uh, I'm seeing that, you know, in real time, like the, the people that I thought would have been like major supporters are not it's like strangers which is like okay that's fine i'm i'm trying not to take it personal (laughs) it's hard not to but but then we just have to change our strategy we just have to figure out again well who is our real audience maybe the audience we thought was our core is not our core maybe that's our reach maybe our our reach people are now our core so i mean i love doing this kind of work um i really do but when it comes to myself like erica baji i'm very sensitive about my shit I, I start to take it a little bit more personally. I can do this stuff for anybody. I can do this stuff for clients all day. But when it comes to my own stuff, it is a bit more like a, my, a child that I, yeah. I feel a responsibility, not only to the project, but to, to the people that are helping, yeah. me, you know, do this work. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, that's kind of been the hardest thing for me because um, initially, like, I feel like people I knew were my audience Mm -hmm. until I realized that they weren't even the audience at all. Um, and so I had to just be like, you know, I can't sit here and talk to you non-existing person. So (laughs) alrighty then. I mean, like, yeah, it's a very, um, Mm mm-hmm. I don't know. Like it's, um, it's disheartening, but at the same time, it's eye opening because you hear people say it, but it's kind of like, you don't really think about it as much. I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out as well. I'm trying to figure out like, but I, I, that's psychology is not my area, but I'm trying to figure out the psychology behind it. Like what, what, what is it about, you know, our, our community that they see that we're doing this work. They know that we're, that we're putting in a lot of work into it, but for some odd reason, it's not converting into like shares or donate or pledges or or streams. So the, the, I'm trying to figure out from a high level strategic point, like how do I get the people that supposedly support my work to convert from lurkers to actual engagement um and i think 
I think a lot of it, because I've been, I've done organizing work before in the nonprofit space around um, political campaigns, but also like grassroots campaigns. I really do think that um, having some FaceTimes, asynchronous time with people to sit down and talk to them, look them straight in the eye or have a conversation with them. I think the old fashioned kind of like politicians going around shaking hands, knocking on doors. I think that, I think that works. I think that is, that's, that's a strategy that we have not incorporated because it's all based on electronic media, digital media. But I think I'm going to have to start, you know, making calls and going to family and friends and, um, you know, making a, a, an individual kind of case, a pitch. Yeah. Uh, so they can actually see how important this is. You know, it's not just, um, I'm, you know, it's not just a post on social media. This is a, this is a story that I really believe in that it's not, gonna, it's not going to get out in the world unless, unless it's funded. It's just yeah. not. Sundance was a few weeks ago and I was able to attend one of the um, pitch sessions. So I was able to talk to a representative from Disney, Hulu, Okay. That was cool. Like, yeah, um, nothing came out of it, unfortunately, but um, it was nice to hear from them, like what kind of projects they're looking for and how much mm -hmm. money they have. And Netflix has a lot of money. And as you can imagine, yeah. Ironically, MSNBC Films has a lot of money. I didn't even think they did, but they do. There's a lot of money out there, but there's a lot of gatekeepers too. Mm -hmm. um, so. Yeah, I think, you know, we have, we're 41 days left. I'm looking at the, the crowdfunding campaign. So week one is, is done for pretty much. We have another uh, team meeting tomorrow. So I think week two, our strategy is going to be a little bit different. We're going to be yeah. looking at some of those bigger fish and what how we can start reaching out to them because the little fish ain't, ain't swimming around. Yeah, <laughs> they are, but... Um, so, but that I, like I said, I do enjoy this. I like trying to figure this out. I think it's fun. Yeah. Um, so I, I think we will eventually find something. It's just going to take a minute. Yeah. yeah. And I mean like this opportunity, obviously we know each other, but I would definitely reach out to podcasts that target your audience. Oh yeah. Um, sure. and just ask to be a guest on there. Um, yeah. You know, I think that um, this space is so vast, but it's so small. Like yeah. everybody just feels like everyone has a podcast, but they don't. Like right. because I'm in the space, I just feel like everybody has a podcast. Yeah. But yeah. half of the people that I know don't even listen to podcasts. So, um, you know, you never know who is listening to somebody's podcast. I feel like I was, you know, born maybe 10 years too early because this newer generation, like of content, I, I admire them. I love what they're doing, but I just, I can only devote like brain power to one social media platform, <laughs> Twitter. I can't imagine being on TikTok, although my mom's on it all day. So I, my mom I, guess, too. I know, and it's funny. It's so funny. It's but crazy. I she just haven't been on there lately, but. Oh yeah. And she's like, I'm an Instagram person. Like I'm not, Yeah, I just do like the videos and like, I yep. will say this though, when I, it depends, it's like hit or miss on an Instagram, but like, um, if I see like a bunch of people do a video to a sound, like I'll do it yeah. just to see like, you know, how far it'll go. Right. Um, but, 
I'm definitely not going viral. <laughs> I, me and Jamel were about to be late because I cannot <laughs> do it. That's why I can't do it. You know, what are you doing? I was like, I don't, I don't care. I'm just going to do it. And it didn't like line up correctly. Mm-hmm. But I was just like, it is what it is. Yeah. Care. But yeah. yeah. So I, mean, I just, I can't, I don't have time. I, I get the gist of it. And I know I've been on it before and I can see how like I would get caught up in that. Algorithm. Oh yeah. You know, Watching them videos. And, yeah, you go down the rabbit hole because then you're like, what right. other videos do they have? And right. then 500 videos later, you're right. like, what time is it? <laughs> well, Tara, I think that um, everything with your film is going to work out. You are going to get enough funding. I'm claiming that for you right now. For everyone that is listening, the link for um, pledging to Dry Bones will be in our description. And please look out for all of my social media posts, um, giving you guys updates about it. Go and follow their Instagram and Facebook pages. Those links will also be in the description so you can go follow and support them as well. And are there any closing remarks that you would like to make? Um, Any information that you want to give to our audience about the film or about yourself before we go? Well, I just want to say thank you again for creating the space for me. Uh, I really appreciate it. It's it means a lot. Um, yeah, and and folks can um, the links will all, will definitely be there. Uh, but just to say it on on the podcast, it's just a bitly link bit.ly forward slash I support dry bones, and we're uh, at dry bones film um, on all social media. And yeah, if you um, want to support Black women or women uh, media makers, now is the time to put your what is it money where your mouth is. Like this yep. is the time to do it. So any any support helps, um, and it's always always appreciated. So thank you. Absolutely. And if you are not in a position to support, I know that you know someone who is. So please, please, please forward all of the information to everyone that you know so that they can also go out and show their support. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. All right. Thanks for being on, Tara. I can't wait to see the film. Thank you. And that's a wrap on another amazing episode. I know you were just as inspired as I was after hearing today's guest. And to let us know how we're doing, leave us a review, like, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also follow us on all social media platforms from Facebook to YouTube at The Color of Influence and on Instagram, the underscore color underscore of underscore influence. And our website is still the same, theblackgirlblogger.com where you can check out all of our episodes as well. And don't forget to share the podcast with someone you know and have them share it with someone that they know. Thank you all for listening. Until next time, peace out.